Howdy folks, Andrew Bray here, son and sound designer for your favorite podcast host, Barbara Bray. And we've got a great conversation with an old friend of Barbara Bray's. Mom, why don't you tell us a little bit about the conversation we're about to have? Well, it's Dr. Cynthia Sistek Chandler. Cynthia and I have been friends. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think the longest ever. I love her. I just, she's like my... Buddy, we went to New Zealand together and cried and laughed. And she helped me long ago when I first created my e-coach. She came up here and spent time. I mean, I just adore her. And I want people to know Cynthia because she's she's not only a good person, she's a dear friend to all of her friends. Mm. And uh, I, I hope people enjoy our conversation together. Great. And when did you guys, when did you guys go to, tell us when you went to New Zealand? We went to New Zealand in May, 2017 Mm. and we giggled and laughed the whole way. I mean, we were there two, maybe two weeks or three. I can't even remember how long, Mm -hmm. but it was wonderful. But I've known Cynthia since 1993. Oh my gosh. And she's just, she's such a dear and her children are my they call me Auntie Barb. That's how long I know. I mean, that's why I love her. And I just hope people can hear the love and, and the the caring in her heart for what she does for educators and she does around technology and education. She's just amazing. Mm. Well, folks, stay tuned for a conversation between, well, between two old friends. Thank you. <laughs> Well, I have to let my audience know, I have someone here who I've known for so long. I've been asking her for, since I started doing a podcast, I've been asking her to be on my show. And I can't believe it's been so long. (laughs) Cynthia! Finally! This is my good, good friend, Cynthia Sistek Chandler. I am so, so lucky to have you as a friend but also to have known you for so long like this. This is, and now get you on my show. Well, great. I'm, I'm honored to be here and just delighted that our friendship has, you know, we have known each other since 92, 1992, I think. And we've been along this journey with so many parallel things happening in our lives. Um, and you've written three books. My goodness, I admire you so much. And you've been such an inspiration to me. We've collaborated on many projects and uh, just we've learned from each other. Thanks so much. I'm glad we found the time. Well, <laughs> I was going to make it happen. I didn't care how you, I, <laughs> no matter what, because um, Cynthia and I have had a lot of um, fun experiences together and we're going to talk about them. But first, for people who may not know you, I'm going to kind of just boast a little bit about you, okay? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it's Cynthia Sistek Chandler a staff developer, trainer, and professor of educational technology. Cynthia works with school sites and with cadres of learners at National University and at the San Diego County Office of Education. And I worked with both. Yes. It was mainly because of you. You brought me in and I have been so fortunate to meet so many wonderful people in both of those 
wonderful organizations. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So the one thing that we're going to talk about a lot, because since 1999, I almost said 2000, it's been 1999, (laughs) you have primarily taught online way before everyone else. And you've done ed tech courses that are required for the California Clear Credential and that, and your program director for the Masters of Science and Advanced Teaching Practices at, is it at, that's at National University, right? Yeah, I became an adjunct faculty in 1993 teaching at Cal State San Marcos and was involved in a a very early coaching and mentoring project with uh, Dr. Kathy Hayden and we, it was called ILAS, oh, the right. ILAS partnership. And my e-coach wasn't developed quite yet, so we just had somebody spin a web page at that point. We did coaching throughout uh, all of San Diego County. Oh my gosh, I remember all mm-hmm. of this, talking to you about mm-hmm. it. Oh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about all of this throughout because now we need to talk about these things. Yes, yes. Wow, I, I'm sitting here just blown away, just thinking that you brought that up, 1992. That's amazing. <laughs> <I know. laughs> It's just amazing now when you think about that. It's just seems like yesterday. So why, you know, I always ask my guests to tell us your background. Okay. Because there's a lot about you I know, but they wouldn't. Okay. Yes, yes. Well, um, you asked me to to talk about my journey as, as a student and as a learner. And in my formative years, the Wonder Bread years. I grew up in uh, <laughs> in the Cleveland uh, area of Ohio, and during my early elementary, I had really great caring teachers. Uh, I walked to school. I walked home from school. Mm. It was a different time then in the in in the sixties. Uh, I was uh, a baton twirler in a group called the Twirling Sweethearts. Uh, I love school so much. We created a, a talent show, and I actually spun one of those fire batons. You know, one of those hoop batons no. that that uh, the Hawaiian Polynesian dancers uh, do for performances. I did that when I was in third grade, and I was a Girl Scout, and I also was a musician. I come from a long line of musicians. What did you, did you sing or play? Well, I did both. I was in choir almost my whole life, even through the beginning of college. But I played the accordion. I'm from a Polish <laughs> background. My grandfather was a, a band leader and my great uncle was in a oompa band or a Polish <laughs> band, a polka band. And it, it was really in my DNA, entertainment and singing and dancing and, and music. And uh, all of that ethnic background of being an Eastern European child, uh, I'm third generation, not first or second, but all of those influences and the cultural hub of Cleveland, where you have all the Eastern Europeans, and it's, it, I, I miss it a lot. I miss it oh a lot. Oh my God, wait a minute. I just got to, you and I have traveled together, and I don't know that. <laughs> some, uh, we should have done some things with an accordion. That would really <laughs> I don't play the accordion anymore. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I'm a dancer. I could have done the polka. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love the polka. I love the polka. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's a riot. Yeah, all that ethnic food of, you know, the pierogi and the kielbasa and, no, we're in such a uh, melting pot or actually a wonderful stew of people in, in, in Southern California or in California, but very, very few get together and do the polka and, you know, <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> So growing up, I, I um, um, unfortunately, my parents divorced at, at an early age, and I attended so many schools. I can't even count how many schools I attended. And we moved to uh, Arizona. Um, my stepfather was in the horse racing business, and that was a rough, that was a rough time. Um, but I always connected to my teachers. I love school and it but it was it was really rough and so I can really relate to a lot of the the immigrants and also the migrant workers and their families of how displaced they may feel hmm. because they're so transient and that made a huge impact and I, because I always wanted to seize the moment in school and get close to my teachers because I always have felt that education's power. Wow. I mean, it is tough. How many states were you in then? Were you in Arizona? Well, um, just Ohio and probably um, eight different towns in Ohio. And then in mid ninth grade, I was already in high school and very, very popular and loving school so much. We moved to California and that was such a big culture shock for me. Yeah. And being that I went back from high school to a junior high school, I was in, I went, I attended four different schools in four years. Mm. Uh, And when you're a young adult and adolescent, you know, your peer groups can be very brutal. And I can remember (laughs) having this strong Cleveland accent and everybody said that I kind of talk through my nose like this <laughs> and they weren't they weren't very forgiving and and made fun of me because I was I was Aww. so different but you know fast forward yeah. you know, did graduate uh worked immediately when when I could got a work permit at age 15 and continued to pursue my education I always always knew in the back of my mind that I, I someday would, would get a doctorate degree. And I persisted. I continued, um, uh, moved again um, from the Thousand Oaks area up to uh, the Central Coast, which I loved living there. Uh, and that's where I obtained my teaching credential and my uh, bachelor's in liberal studies and then I obtained a master's in curriculum and instruction. I always thought with that master's, I would write teacher's guides or books or something because I had been doing it all along. And then I took a hiatus. I took a hiatus from from uh, from being in school for a while. And as a classroom teacher, and I should probably just go back a, a, a few years and, and talk about, you know, I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. When I got my credential, oh, really? yeah, oh my goodness, yeah. I, my sister is three years younger than I am. And whatever I learned in school, I came home 
and I taught her. And I would I would play school. I wouldn't play school. I had school. And <laughs> she, and she, you know, by the time she went to school in kindergarten, she was reading, writing, adding, subtracting, uh, and you know, she just became so much smarter than me because I was teaching her everything I knew. <laughs> so I was a natural teacher. So when when I finally got my credential and started teaching in Paso Robles, California, uh, I worked with first graders, second graders, and for the majority of, of the, the five years of being an elementary teacher, uh, I was with first grade. And first graders just, they were so spongy. And so uh, we had, we had uh, a hug machine where <laughs> if somebody was, was feeling bad about themselves mm. or something sad happened, we, we, we created a hug machine where we were all hugging. Oh, uh, I'm just thinking of that yeah. Oh yeah. We played classical music. Um, it was, it was the classroom that I always wanted consistently as a child. And uh, I, I loved, loved, loved being with my kiddos, with my first graders, because they're at the age that they're learning everything. Well, we were one of the first school districts to actually adopt technology. We started with these computers on wheels and rotated those computers throughout the the, the school, throughout the campus. And I was one of the few that really embraced it and because I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. I absolutely love it. And we use programs like the Children's Writing and Publishing Center and the print shop and just the Apple simplicity. Apple Two E's. I mean, Apple Two E's with the image writer. Yeah. yeah and the then Kachung, that. Kachung, yeah. Kachung with the with the image writer, the sound of the image writer as mm-hmm. rolling off and, and creating banners and having students. Um, now they call them sentence frames, but now it but uh, they were sentence starters where they would say, I am thankful for, yeah. we did a Thanksgiving writing. I did the same thing, but I was, you know, teaching computers too. So it mm-hmm. was, a, mm-hmm. but uh, and, and I was so enthralled with it all that uh, I even had my parent volunteers come in and they learned how to use the word processing software and everything themselves. But what really hooked me is when the student's work was published and it would roll off the printer and they were just mesmerized. They were in awe that their stories were being published. Oh, that's perfect. So a few of us from the school district went to our first Q conference. And as a beginning teacher, I just was in awe of everything that I learned at Q. And that was um, that was th- over 35 years ago. I know. And Q still does that for me. And, and for those of you who don't know what Q is, the, the acronym used to be Computer Using Educators, and now it's much more than that. It's a, mm-hmm. a network of, of like-minded people who are innovative and creating and who are connecting that educational technology throughout um, the curriculum and, and through their classes. And you know, the thing about Q, maybe we can go there then since you brought it up, is that uh, that's where I met you. And one of the things that I found is that since I was like you, I was just enthralled with technology. I mean, my family always thought I was a little crazy. I had, I would take computers apart, put them back together. I would show Mm -hmm. the kit, you know, all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. They always thought, teachers thought I was weird. Plugged all kinds of crazy things together. Yeah. One of the things is my, one of my first 
conferences was I was hired as a techie. I don't know if you know that. So when you were doing a presentation, I was on the floor making sure all the cords, because <laughs> I was really tech into support. that. I was tech support because that's how it started. It was mm-hmm. with all of us helping each other. But what I love about what you did is you didn't give up. You not only worked and shared it with your kids, you went back and you started presenting and you started helping. I was so turned on by the promise of technology and the power of having students use technology for learning Mm -hmm. as a a tool and all this educational software that was so powerful and so interesting. And and as, as it developed, it was very multimedia rich and it really gave so many students access and also gave them the opportunity to, to, use those word processing uh, tools and desktop publishing and, and creating books and talking stories. And I actually, uh, at a Q conference, started talking to a couple of the vendors, a couple of the publishers about how I had written some teacher's guides for one, I turned in for Scholastic, uh, a product for Scholastic, and then I was really interested because I just had received my master's in curriculum and instruction. And so I got several job offers and I thought, hmm, I, I think I would really like that. I think I would really like, because of my background in curriculum and instruction, I can see the alignment. I can see the connection to the standards. So I worked for industry in the educational software business and did hundreds of product demonstrations and talked about the curriculum cur- connections. And I loved it. I loved it. Um, I even had a chance to work as an Apple reseller for a year and was a manager in California. And then I also, uh, then I worked for a couple of other publishers who were instructional materials publishers and Prodigy, which was one of the first distance ed services. I don't know if any of you remember Prodigy. They were kind of like the Yahoo of of, uh, of distance (laughs) ed. And then I worked for a company that had one of the first online programs for career education out of Kelowna, British Columbia. Uh, And it was, it just really opened up my eyes to the promise of educational technology. And I really wanted to establish more credibility and look at the research and be able to give educators the the foundation that says, yeah, this is why this works. And this is the best scenario of how to get kids working with this this technology so that it's meaningful and constructing knowledge rather than just playing a game. Well, you know what I like with another thing you did in Q is you actually wrote the software review column. I mean, I'm not sure what it was called. Oh, I did. Yes, that's right. Oh my gosh. I did that with, uh, you know, well over a hundred educators. It was so great. I would get a chance to talk to the software publishers and I'd ask them to send us copies and we got so much free software and I would send it out to, to teachers all over the state of California and they loved it. They loved being able to have the free software, but then they were published. They published their reviews in the, in the on-cue newsletter. It used to be called the Q, the Q card. It, well, it was, 
It was a Q newsletter when I started and yes. then a Q card and now it's on Q. But yes. I was writing, you were writing. Yeah, we yeah. had a lot of parallels going I mean, on. I, everything you're saying, I'm saying, I did that. I did that, but I didn't, I, I did a little bit of work for publishers, but not like you did. We have one common bond and that is you as one of the pioneers in collaborative online learning in developing my e-coach. I have to tell you, I I love my e-coach. I've been a certificated e-coach instructor. I have worked with hundreds of school administrators using my e-coach as the delivery model for you know, uh, interactive agendas. Mm-hmm. Uh, my e-coach has that built the built-in blog and I just you were such an early pioneer in coaching and mentoring and doing this all online. It's unbelievable that you, I mean, you did it before Google did it. I know I did. <laughs> in fact, in 93, we, I started a, this uh, women's ed tech collaborative and we met at a Silomar. You were part of that, weren't you? I was not. I was oh not. Oh my gosh. I thought you were. Well, then we got to do it again. <laughs> I think it's time that we do that again yeah. for sure, for oh sure, my because gosh. One, of, one of the first papers I wrote in my journey in my doctoral program was women in technology uh-huh. and recognizing those women who contributed um, early in the early stages of web instruction and web-based, creating web tools and, you know, before when it was just, you know, the beginning of the web it, there were a lot of women in tech who were programmers uh-huh. and who were, you know, developing these listservs, you know, the, and all of the different ways that they were connecting. So, no, I, I, I remember that you were involved in that. And as a matter of fact, you did, I think you did a pitch at this big conference in, in San Francisco mm-hmm. when you were pitching, you know, uh, my e-coach, but I, that, product, that online tool has touched so many lives. And my students tell me, and I've been using it for, for 10 years with my master's students, my students tell me that it's, it's easy to use. It's not complicated. Um, they feel very confident after they've either created their blog or they created their, their project using the Universal Builder. I think it's changed now to the web builder, right? Nope, it's Universal Builder still. But I can't tell you how <laughs> many students who were even a little technophobic really have embraced online tools that they have learned how to use in in my e-coach. So we will forever be bonded that way because, mm-hmm. you know, I've been with you since the start of, of your company. Oh. Well, and- you're the one that helped me. I mean... <laughs> You came up here uh, just to come when I came up with the idea. We did a lot of brainstorming. A lot of brainstorming. and But the thing is, is that I couldn't have done it alone. I have, you know, you and others who believe in that. And now there's so many tools. They still don't do the coaching right. That's why I keep it. Right. I know. <laughs> I mean, that's my issue yeah. is that, and I have a lot of people in there and I, I just feel obligated because I just, you know, it's just my baby and I love it, but, but I've learned a lot from you. And so I'm really grateful. 
Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I, I just, since I've been teaching online for so long and working with online programs, you know, a variety of programs, uh, it, it, it's, you can't just post links up online. You can't, instructional design for the web, for, for teaching and learning is so critical. Mm-hmm. And along the way, I've learned so much about motivation, interactivity, color theory, and all kinds of theoretical underpinnings of why we design the way we do. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, uh, an expert instructional designer. I was telling my students last night that graphics are the biggest pain because you never know how they're going to react when you try and resize them or or uh, put them into another program and put, you know, make them into a meme or, you know, whatever you're going to make. But um, I always have asked my students, you know, what, the, there's all these tools out there, but what is the implication for teaching and learning? How can educators use them so that it impacts students' own journey with using technology as a tool? Mm -hmm. And they need to be able to synthesize and apply all those Bloom's strategies and construct knowledge and and develop products Mm -hmm. and not just put a whole bunch of text online in a Google Doc. You know, it has to be meaningful. It has to be purposeful. Well, you know, now that you're bringing that up, I'm going to bring up that we're in the middle of a crisis here with the yes. uh, coronavirus. And um, what I'm doing right now is a Zoom call with you and I can see you and you're beautiful, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> um, but, and we'll put up pictures, but I'm using Zoom and uh, other video conferencing tools more and more now because that human connection is missing. And what I'm thinking is going to happen because of this is more and more teachers are finding, because they're doing, um, I was in a coffee EDU online. I went to a birthday party online. I'm finding that when they can come in one door that is not, that feels safer because they can, they're not going to be evaluated or they're not going to be graded. They right. can, and then they realize it's not that hard. It, it, it's actually mm-hmm. something they can do. I think that our whole world of teaching and learning is going to change. And you were Absolutely. there first. Mm-hmm. You were doing this. This, right. this is on synchronized right. learning. You were doing this so long ago. Yes, I was. And I under understood very quickly when I started teaching blended classes that were in person, and then we would have to have that supplemental curriculum up online so that students could could create and contribute. Uh, but being only online, I absolutely embraced these synchronous tools, and I've been using them for many, many years. Zoom, I've been using for five years. Uh, before that, we used Web, uh, WebCT, Go to My PC, uh, Skype in the classroom. Teachers I've been speaking with now because of the coronavirus, they're sharing, they're using Google Hangout, but it's called Google uh, Meet now, and 
Microsoft has a, has a product that they rebranded for education called Microsoft Meet. These synchronous tools, especially when you're taking a class online, you don't know who's in the class with you. You've never met the professor before. It's absolutely critical to have these conversations and to have a synchronous discussion to build community, to build trust, to be able to build empathy, and to have that community of learning because instruction is emotion. Learning is emotion. And I am... And for for all of my academic career, I've been exploring and and conducting research on the efficacy of online learning and how critical this one-on-one or the one-to-many connections in a synchronous environment is, is absolutely necessary. There are students who do fine in self-directed learning and want to get to the end as quickly as possible. And that's why MOOCs have been so popular uh, across the world. Uh, And I actually did a research study and interviewed 10 MOOC instructors. And for your listeners, if you don't know what a MOOC is, it's a massive online open uh, course. And these early MOOC instructors, I, you know, I was just perplexed. How could they teach 25,000 students or 5,000 students? Well, they had intelligent tutors. They had graduate assistants and assistants that would go in. They had automatic grading. They had uh, just a, a variety. Of, it, it's, it's like they were conducting a symphony and being a director as opposed to being an instructor, because all of the recordings had to be done in a recording studio. They were very polished. They were very purposeful. And artificial intelligence is built into, uh, and adaptive learning systems were were built into the algorithms of how that online uh, course content was delivered as well as it, it was received and how the students interacted with it. And I still don't understand how instructor presence is so critical. As we know, in K-12 education, a teacher can make the biggest difference in a child's life, in 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 a youngster's life. And I feel like in my experience as an online educator, without this medium, and without the other types of things that we do that are more synchronous that, and also uh, deep feedback and reflection and even picking up the telephone and, and calling students and talking to them. It, it's so important. It's so important. And Barbara, for the last year, I've been really working very deeply in the social and emotional learning world. Um, we're developing a new master's in SEL and this whole time with the uh, coronavirus and COVID-19, it's getting back to the humanistic qualities of how our heart, our minds, our bodies are all connected. And if a child is in trauma, and many kids, I hope, are not experiencing traumatic impact from this virus and this pandemic, but they probably will. I mean, and, and it's, changed the whole paradigm of teaching and learning, but getting back to the social skills that are needed for students to think critically and 
connect and articulate and um, develop friendships. Uh, this is, it's a, it's a new time. It's a new normal. And how we're going to deal with that new normal, especially with this online connection is, well, for example, um, my new book will be coming out next month. It is published by IGI Global, and it is called Exploring Synchronous and Asynchronous Methods in Online Learning. And there are 12 authors of the chapters who, many of them are practitioners who've been teaching online for as long as I have and talking about the power of the portfolio and having that a dynamic piece, um, using precision learning, which is a, uh, a a tool that we're using at, at NU that is built on artificial intelligence and having learning chunked so that it's just right and it's meeting the needs of the individual. You know how critical it is to have personalized learning environments. Technology is only part of that, but the social and emotional learning connection is is just as powerful. The other chapters are just really talking again about the, the research that many of us have been doing in higher education to unwrap how all of the these online learning components can make education meaningful. And people don't feel as isolated because we are practicing all these different models and strategies and, you know, breakout rooms for problem solving and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and using the Zoom technology has just really changed my teaching in the last five years. Well, I, you know, when they had this problem with the hacking and they came in and they put it, they're really working on it. So I'm glad that uh, we can continue using it. And I think it, and I have to bring up, we just had our own little call with Anne Canelli, who. Oh uh, my goodness. Yes. You know, it's because of these social networks Mm -hmm. and the, exciting new ways that we're connecting with people and at the International Society for Technology and Education, which is another, you know, it's the international conference. We have had a lot of connections with all these wonderful educators that we've met from around the globe. And three years ago, Barbara, my dear friend and my inspirational mentor, you invited me to go to New Zealand Mm -hmm. to work with some of these inspirational educators and just talented, talented people. And you, you share just your, your inspirational messages about design thinking and just really gave the workshop attendees opportunity to think differently about what they were doing and to apply design thinking in their environments and also in their teaching practices. But we also have to remember that when we work with teachers, they in turn are picking up strategies so that they can impart those strategies with their students and model by example. But we had an incredible time well, there. We met, you know, Lee Hines at the University of, of Wakato and Anne Keneally from Core Education in New Zealand. Well, see, I've, um, I've been very lucky to have you along with me, but I just want to say that um, one thing I'm finding is not only do you develop these relationships through, I met 
um, Ann and Lee through ISTE. Yes. They knew me just because of my book. And But the um, thing that was really cool is we were very fortunate to go there and spend time and really develop relationships that will, tra- I mean, I'm going to share th- cherish those forever. And yeah. also being on a plane with you for 14 hours, <laughs> I got to know you really well. And, uh, but here's the thing. I, I'm, unfortunately, I have to kind of pull this together. So I want to make sure that we covered what we wanted to say. Yeah. And, and I know, Barbara, we, we really need to write about those amazing schools we yeah. visited in New Zealand yeah. um, who really personalize learning for their students and, you know, inspire students um, to be innovative and, you know, genius hour and project-based learning and all these environments, the kids came first. They really did. They were at the center. Talk about student-centered learning. Oh my goodness. And I love the fact that all of those teachers said, you know, you want to take a coffee? You want to have a coffee? (laughs) Coffee breaks are required. (laughs) Oh, in fact, that was the first one we went to. Um, it, it was Tony, yeah, the principal there. Mm-hmm. And he said, come in and have coffee with us. And um, But the thing is, is that I'll always treasure that. And I, and mainly because um, they're lovely people. I just, and I get to see some of them again, virtually, but I've also seen some at the conferences. But it made our relationship stronger. Yes, and yes. so I, I've always wanted you on my show. I was just saying, uh, oh, one of the other thing about you is that you were in the forefront of online on, and the synchronous, you know, learning and strategies and also believed in me, which was really kind of nice to have someone who believes in you when you're doing something very strange and new. But um, Cynthia, you've been a very special friend and I'm, I really love you very much. I, I really do. Yeah, I love you too. I do want to say, um, before we go, I'm, we're going to put a blog post together, but do you want to just share uh, one way? How? What are some good ways to contact you? Well, I have a tinyurl.com slash Cynthia Chandler, and it is a website that I've created in my e-coach, uh, and it's called uh, Cyber Sins Conversations. And that is one way. I'm at Cynthia Chandler on Twitter. I'm very active in Q. And I am really working very closely with the social and emotional learning uh, department uh, at Sanford Harmony and Inspire at our university. We also, I'll just let you know, I started a a project in my year coach about uh, resources for teachers and families and Cynthia is now a co-author with me and she put up Sanford Harmony at, and I didn't realize that was part of the, the work you're doing. That's really it's, cool. It's actually um, another division of, of, of our institution. It's, it's, it's um, from the gift that our benefactor has given to us to develop this curriculum for all schools worldwide for free. We and, have to admit, you know what I'm going to do, you and I, so <laughs> everyone, this is new. I just thought of it. We're going to have on our project, we're going to put up like once a month or once a week, put up a um, resource of the of the day Well, or let me tell you, the, the, the one that I'm most proud of, and there were 
Oh, gosh, how many people? There were 22 writers who were practitioners who've been working with the Sanford Harmony programs at the demonstration schools. Lovely, lovely educators from uh, all over San Diego County. Some of our subject matter experts from our faculty and I was one of the team leaders, and we developed these, they're called SEL playbooks. So I'll make sure that the playbooks are up online because it is collectively reflecting all of the five core competencies of social and emotional learning um, as presented by CASEL. And what we've done is we've, we've written these playbooks, which <sighs> are somewhat interactive. They're research-based snippets of the day in a life of, of the practitioner who has been applying this social emotional uh, learning strategy. And boy, it is so powerful. And I'm most proud of that for sure. Oh, well, definitely. Well, we put a blog post together and, and, I'm, and it's probably going to be really long because we have so much history. <laughs> in fact, we're going to do another one because we're going to talk, we're going to do one about our trip. I think that we need to put all the pictures up and stuff and maybe even bring uh, Lee and Ann in. (laughs) That would be kind of fun. That would be great. That would be great. I just, what resonates for me is that, that school we went to with all the hearts. Oh, that was in Auckland. That was in Auckland. That was right. That was our last one we went to. And yeah, uh, yeah. and we have a lot of pictures of that. So that, I want to go on forever with you. Thank you so much, Cynthia. This has been just like a, it's like a virtual hug to all of the listeners. (laughs) Thank you, sweetheart. Stay safe and love you. Love you too. This is Barbara Bray. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Cynthia Sistek Chandler. Make sure you check out the blog post that goes with the podcast about Cynthia. It's on my Rethinking Learning website, and we include resources about online learning, SEL, and our story together as good friends, along with so much more. You can subscribe to my website at barbarabray.net to receive announcements, updates, and there are guiding questions about my book to find your why. I hope you subscribe to my podcast because we'll be sharing ideas and stories while we're staying home during this crisis. Now we need each other more than ever. All of our stories matter. So keep sharing your story and please stay healthy and safe.